Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, everybody, and we're back on the Who Are You series. And I've got somebody who I have been on his podcast before, but I'm pleased to be interviewing him on Who Are You? It's Andrew the Hinkley Gooner. How are you, Andrew? I'm very well, thanks, Kevin. Thanks, thanks very much for having me on. It's no, a great honour. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, t- listen, tell everyone who, who's going to be listening to this where you are, what you do, and where they can find you, Andrew. Yeah, well, I've got my uh, YouTube channel and uh, podcast, which is called From Dial Square to Where, and it's purely a platform to have fans all across the world on there just to um, discuss everything Arsenal in a nice, common sense, opinionated and funny kind of way. You know, it's, um, it's been really good fun meeting lots of really, really good uh, fans across the world. Uh, yes, find it on YouTube, From Dial Square to Where. We usually do a weekly show. Um, and it's not really just specifically about the matches, just sort of post-match reviews and all that sort of stuff. It's generally about what's going on within the club and sort of trying to get into the nitty-gritty of um, the finer details. It's been, you know, really interesting. We also do like a show called Mesa Island Discs, which is uh, my own take on the Desert Island Discs <laughs> theme, and, that, and that's been brilliant, and that's gone down quite well. And, um, yeah, it, it's good fun, really good fun. Sounds sounds interesting. Like I say, I've been on I've been on one of your pods, and uh, it was really good yeah. fun. Good opinions as well, which matters um, because everyone's got their own opinion, haven't they? That's the one thing exactly. about Ars- Arsenal, especially Arsenal fans. Everyone's got their own opinion, and they're, they're not <laughs> they're, they and they're not scared to 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 say their opinion, mate. So, no, listen, anybody, if you if you're listening in uh, and you're watching. Check out Andrew the Hingley Guna and uh, from Dow Square to where, etc. And Mesa Island Disc, etc. Yeah, check him out. He's, <laughs> Thank a, you. he's a top guy, and you're going to get to know him a little bit better now because I don't want to waste any time, Andrew, because we've got a lot to cover um, to start with. So, Andrew, what was your first game watching ever game watching Arsenal at Highbury? It was, because um, I've been a fan since about 1980, but I didn't actually get to go to my, uh, the ground until 1985. And it was a game um, against Villa. Uh, it's a bit sketchy in my head, but I mean, I can remember vividly walking up to the ground and just being awestruck immediately. It's incredible. But I do remember a last minute winner. I think it was a 3-2 win. And I'm pretty sure... It was a defender. I think it's a last-minute goal as well that we won 3-2. And uh, I was absolutely insistent on going into the North Bank. It was my, uh, my brother-in-law who took me at the time. My family aren't into football at all. But luckily, both of my sisters got together with guys who are football fans. And uh, he sort of willingly took me along, even though he's a Millwall fan. Well, no, so, <laughs> as a South no. London guy, that's 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 it. Well, he's come to the best best club over. That's that's the other side, anyway. <laughs> exactly, but at least I got to see. Cause I went to a few Millwall games as well with him, just because I love football as well. And I got to see George Graham managing Millwall before yeah. he came to the guys. Um, and he that's interesting. Really well, there. well, that yeah, you know definitely. that is really interesting because a lot of the people I I uh, interview on here 
I speak to them about, you know, what did you know about George Graham, etc. A lot of them said, mm. we know it was at Millwall, but they had no idea what it was, uh, what his style was, what he was like. But he'd done a really good job at Millwall, George Graham, didn't he? Oh, he feel? did. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw called Cascarino and Teddy Sheringham up front and uh, the madman Terry Herlock in midfield. Yeah. Um, it was really, it, it was really exciting. I mean, I went home and away with uh, with to some Millwall games as well. Got attacked on a few occasions when we went away. Oh <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah. Everyone wants, want, everyone wants fancies it, don't they? Yeah. Oh mate, honestly, the the reputation preceded them. It was it, whenever I was there, it was never the Millwall fans that uh, actually started any kind of uh, pro- trouble. It was always their reputation. Um, and being a 12, 13 year old, uh, you know, early sort of teens, it was really exciting, you know, being yeah, involved of course, in yeah, yeah. They won't but start it, but they'll finish them. it, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do remember at my first game, at, at, I think Kenny Sansom, O'Leary played, Paul, uh, Paul Davis, who was a magnificent midfielder. Yes. Um, I don't think you you didn't play in that game. No, I was, sure. I was, I was schoolboys then. I was probably at yeah. London Colney at the time, 85. Um, yeah, I used yeah. to watch you in the reserves quite regularly as well when you were coming through. It was really yeah. exciting. Co- combination, got, yeah, the combination. Charlie yeah, Nicholas, Tony Woodcock up front and, you know, yeah, it was good. It was really, really good. We weren't too bad that season, actually. I know we went through some really bad times in the 80s, but yeah, I think we finished sort of sixth, seventh that year. So it's not bad. I was absolutely delighted to um, get, you know, to see my first game there and standing on the North Bank, it was... Very much like the Nick Hornby type of experience for me. It really was. And I, I always the goal goes in. Yeah, oh God, yeah. I mean, you just get swept up in a tight... Mind you, I, I, you know, I don't think we had a massive crowd then. I mean, the crowds were pretty poor in, at that period in the 80s. I think they dwindled quite a lot. But you know, it didn't matter when you, when you were a young kid and you, know, you just got swallowed up on the North Bank and you just sway like the tide. Yeah. You know, get put back and forth and yeah the atmosphere is incredible absolutely yeah. loved it i'd love them to bring back safe standing but look we might even get there yeah. later on in this conversation yeah. so who was your favorite player uh growing up then uh andy well a bit further on down the line um it was i mean it was david Rocastle for me yeah. I, I i mean no it's t- still to this day i miss i miss him you know yeah. and i Although I ne- you feel like you know him. Yeah, I ne- I've never had the pleasure to, to meet David Rowcastle, but he was the guy for me. And when we were growing up in that period, Liverpool were obviously a dominant team. And I was, um, a lot of my, my school friends were Liverpool fans, as you can imagine at that period, because they were so successful. And, you know, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, the, they had, um, when it got to sort of towards the middle to the latter part of the 80s, can't remember the exact year he joined, but they had John Barnes. Yeah. And John Barnes, to me, was a, a god of football, but I hated him because he was so good. You know, yeah. Yeah. He, he was so scary to, for Arsenal to come up against. And he just had the feeling he was going to rip you to pieces. And, um, but we had David Rowcastle. And Rowcastle was not only as skillful as like a Brazilian footballer with his dribbling ability and his technique and his quality on the ball, Goals, goals that he scored were fantastic. But he was—he had steel. You know, yes. he wasn't going to be pushed around. He had so much strength and, and to go alongside the skill as well. And he—he he was a real teammate. He was—he was be the first one there if anyone was attacking one of his teammates. I did a bad tackle. We'll be in their face as well. He had everything to me, and 
he was an Arsenal boy through and through, of course. And um, yeah, he was my god, really. I had posters of him all over my walls, and I absolutely love David Rowcastle to this day. Yeah, and you know what? I, I I feel exactly the same, and you know I I feel so proud when I hear the Arsenal fans singing his name and stuff like that, and yeah. acknowledging him. You know, he's uh, he was a he was a fantastic, fantastic player and ambassador for Arsenal Football Club, and uh, he was. You know, yeah. he's, he's sorely probably missed probably the saddest. Could, still to this day, like I said, I still miss him, and um, every new shirt that I buy, I still always have seven on the back. I don't have the name because he never had his name on the back of his shirt. Yeah, no names then, yeah. Yeah, no names I will always uh, stick with that. And I'm very, actually, just to quickly digress, it's very, I'm glad that Saka's got the number seven shirt uh, yesterday. That's that's nice. Yes, yeah, a nice uh, touch. Yeah, yeah, it is. Boy, yeah. to, to get the number seven shirt, I think it's important. I, I agree with you um, there. So, uh, and Andrew, how did you how did you become a gooner? Because look, I know you you mentioned about your sister's boyfriends or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But you know, becoming a gooner. When did you really feel I'm a gooner yeah. now? <laughs> well, it's interesting actually because although I'm you know I'm from the sort of South London area, I didn't really grow up with a lot of uh, Arsenal fans. Funnily enough, there was a lot of some Charlton fans, and like I said, there was a um, a lot of Liverpool fans in my school, but my best friend uh, at the time was a guy called Dean Coburn. Shout out to Dean, if you're listening. I'll put you in touch with this podcast, Dean, so you can listen back. And he um, he lives in Australia now, right? But he was uh, the other Arsenal fan in my class, and you know, me and him were inseparable. So he is his. He came from a, a family of Arsenal supporters. And like I said, my family weren't into, my mum and dad, you know, none of my, you know, I've got two sisters, they're not into football. So it's just me, really. So he, he's the one, really, that I can really say that it got me into Arsenal. And, um, yeah, got him to thank for all the anguish and pain that he's put me through over the, all these years. <laughs> Listen, the club always do it the hard way, Andrew, don't they? Oh, God, yeah, they put you through the, the rigger, don't they? they Honestly. Do. <laughs> But, you know, going, growing up in that sort of era, it made all the good times even more special when they arrived, didn't it? Yeah, big time. Sweet. Made them much sweeter. Definitely much sweeter. So Definitely did. We so, earned it. Andrew, so tell me some of your hybrid supporting the Arsenal experiences, because I'm sure... You, you've got quite a few to, <laughs> to mention. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely. It's, it's really hard to say. I mean, when you say about the Highbury experiences, there's, I mean, there's so many matches to, to go through. It'll take forever. But well, give me, me, a, couple, I, give me a couple of your yeah, favourites. Highbury Stadium in itself, let me just quickly say, it's the most beautiful stadium in, in world football for me. It, just the, the look of it. And when you come round, yeah, walking from the tube station and you just see it. It is just so beautiful. You know, the Art Deco styling of it. And I was really lucky that one day, because I, I used to go to the reserve games um, after work sometimes. And yeah. you used to just get a walk in for nothing. Yeah. And I got to meet this guy who was, I thought he was like a caretaker type of guy. Um, but I got talking to him because uh, there was no hardly anyone there. And the he Irish, took was me he? To the Marble Halls. Was he Irish? Yeah. Paddy. Yes, I think so. Paddy. 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 Silver hair, silver hair. Yeah, he's, absolutely. He's, yeah, he was, he was top, Oh, what top a lovely guy. 
And uh, he, he took me into the marble halls to see the Herbert Chapman bust. bust and the bust, and, yeah. Oh, it, I was just so, it was incredible. So the, the whole the whole experience, every time I go to Highbury, it's just magical. The smell, the smell of like the, the rat burgers cooking outside, yeah. you know, the program sellers, everything about it. But it's, there was a game, there's a couple of games that really sprang to mind, which I just absolutely, and that was like the, the season 91, no, 1991 when we won the league. And Chelsea, we beat them 4-1. Um, and I can't remember if it was that game. It was, was it that game? Or the Liverpool, there was a Liverpool game. We won 3-0 as well that year. And um, I don't know if, I, I won't swear on, on, on no, your you podcast. Can, you're allowed. It's, it's oh, gone yeah, to no, adults. Yeah, don't they, worry they, about they, that. They were, we obviously had the Old Trafford brawl yeah. that season. Yeah, and uh, we had the points deduction, and you know all the. It was really so unfair, but and I, I can just remember, and obviously being quite still quite young at the time, and we were singing, "You can st- you can stick your two points up your fucking ass," yeah. you know. <laughs> <I was laughs> stick just, your fucking two points up your ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Oh man. To the tune of "She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain." Yeah, and yeah. That, and I was just singing it, and I was so elated at that point because we were just riding on the crest of a wave and obviously we'd had a a talisman you know put in prison yeah and it was just a mental season but we were playing some really good football that year we were the top scorers in the league and there was another one of my favorites uh had joined that season as well and uh anders limpar what a player super sweet man do you know what? I, I remember going to Wembley that season to see his debut, uh, along with, I think it was David Seaman's debut as well, and Andy Linnigan. Yeah. It was the Makita International Tour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was it. And you scored in that game against Villa. Yeah. I think on his debut with uh, Anders Limpar. Yeah. And what a goal that Limpar scored that day. He left cut foot, in from left the, foot, didn't he? Oh, cut in from the left far, far corner. Pinged yeah. What a goal! And he was just such an exciting player that season as well. And I just, I was just thrilled watching him that year. And I think he scored a hat trick towards the back end of the season. Can't, can't remember who that was. That might have been the Coventry. Uh, Coventry at home. Coventry. That that's last it. game yes. of the season. That was party time. Absolutely fantastic. That was just a great season. And I didn't get to see. I think I saw about two or three home games during the eighty-nine um, win. Didn't feel. I mean, obviously, it was absolutely elated during that season as well. But I well, that's my that's my next question. So I don't. Yeah, yeah, that's my next question for you. I I I went a lot more often during the nineteen ninety one season, and I really, really felt a part of it. Then I used to be able to go on my own because I was around sixteen then, sixteen, seventeen, and um, I used to just travel up on the train and tube myself, and I I really felt like I was a proper hardcore Arsenal fan. Andrew, did you go to the, did you go to the um, Man United game at home? You know, because no, I, that's one I didn't I didn't get to that one. No, unfortunately, because Nottingham Forest beat Liverpool and we won the league, and we that's were playing right. Man United that evening. So maybe it was a bit exactly. late for you. You know, what I mean? unfortunately, maybe was, yeah. I, I couldn't get there. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I was living on my pocket money at that point. Yeah. You know, <laughs> do, yeah, doing no, like I, a get I get you. I get you. I get you. I was working in a chemist on a Saturday, sweeping up. Yeah, but yeah, uh, uh, it was an incredible season, and that was probably the, the, the real highlight. And but I just felt so 
in love with the the whole atmosphere and the whole match day atmosphere at that point. And like I said, I, I, I really miss Highbury. I really do. I think a lot of people feel the same way, Andrew. Well, this you've set me up lovely for for the next question, uh, Andrew. Can you tell me how your day day and evening went on the 26th of May, 1989. Oh, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, it was <laughs> such a, I was absolutely riddled with nerves. I can't even tell you, I was absolutely riddled with nerves. And um, I wasn't, I, I remember in the morning, I was feeling quite ill, you know, because, I, and I think it generally was just the, pure adrenaline nervous really energy and adrenaline yeah and that that day dragged so much you know <laughs> it was incredible it was like and i remember that because i've said a couple of times that i come from a household of non-football fans they didn't get it you know and, I, and um and when it i think i put the telly on maybe about two hours before you know the match because i just i just wanted it to start yeah and um i watched it on, on my own in the in the lounge and well, let me just tell you, when it sort of kicked off, I had, all of a sudden, it's really weird, but I actually went quite calm, you know, and I just had a good feeling about it. I wasn't quite as nervous anymore. The nerves sort of dissipated uh, quite, quite a bit. And as, uh, you know, Smudger got the goal in the, the beginning of the second half, I just thought, um, we are, we are going to do this. But then, at, at, you know, as the time sort of progressed, um, yeah, you know, it was obviously getting more and more and more nervous. But then, when that goal went in, uh, I I can't quite well I can't describe the feeling, but it was just like shock, you know. And I jumped up, yeah, turned which around. Which goal? Which goal? Oh no, it's it, Michael Thomas. No, well, Michael don't Tom- don't 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 jump, Andrew. Okay. <laughs> Tell me about Smudge's one first, because if Smudge's that one goal. don't go in, Michael Thomas's one Wait. don't make. You know what I mean? So. Well, Smudge, he's a, he's a legend. I love, I love Smudge. He's, he was, he's such an under, again, underrated. another underrated, yeah, really underrated goal scorer. I mean, he, he was top scorer for about three, three years, I think. Yes. You know, got the golden boot and love Smudger. And when they, when he, when his goal went in, I mean, obviously, yeah, absolutely elation, absolutely elation. She jumped up, punched the air, and um, my mum came in. I remember she's asking what the hell's going on, and I said, "Oh, just scored," <laughs> and she goes, "Oh, well, keep it down." And I'm like, oh. What? No Keep chance. You got no chance, mum. <laughs> no way, no way. But I was, uh, I just had a good feeling. I just knew that it was going to, it was coming. And it, since you've heard all the stories since, it, it just went to plan, didn't it? But when that goal went in and then the Liverpool players, like, was swarming around the goal, you know, the, the referee and everything, trying to say it was, he didn't touch it or yeah, it, yeah. trying to claim it wasn't a goal. And, trying and it you on. just think, oh my God, you know, because they were... Liverpool, I hate Liverpool. I mean, at that point, they were just so dominant. It was just everyone hated them apart from the Scousers, didn't they? To be honest, yeah. Well, but, a bit um, like now, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. He's never gone away, hasn't it? Never got away, mate. Never got away. But yeah, it, it was just elation. And but as as the match was sort of wearing on, it, you were doing well. We'll keep. I did any chances really. You know, we limited them to hardly true. anything. Very but true. Let's, let's let's face the fact that David O'Leary was really. <laughs> he was getting on at that point. Massive, yeah. yeah, he was quite old at that point, but he was just uh, really untroubled as well. I mean, God, uh, when you get to that goal though, 
at the end. When but give me the bilk. See, Andrew, uh, you, see, oh, yeah, I, you know the moment, Andrew, the moment, because I was I was there, right? And obviously, Lukic has got the ball and he rolls it. I'm expecting him to kick it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, he, he, he rolls it out to Dicko. I was screaming. I was screaming at him Go to on. kick the ball down yeah. the field. You know, I was thinking, <laughs> what are you doing, man? Yeah. <laughs> Do you not realise that it's right next to the end of the game? I mean, just get the ball down to smudge. Uh-huh. But yeah, when he rolled it out, I thought, oh my God, you know, we're running out. The ref's going to blow the whistle, you know. He's going to blow the whistle. Just yeah. get on with it. And, oh my God, the tension. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> but, I mean, when I actually thought the match was over when Rico, when Kevin Richardson went down with cramp. Right. You know, and he was down for quite a while. Yeah, you know, was. And I thought, I thought the refs ain't going to put the, this time back on. You know, yeah. he's, he's going to blow. He's not going to add this time on. To be fair to him, you know, the ref did. And... But at that point, I thought, well, that's it now. When, it, when Kevin Richardson went down, I thought that was it. Right. Because it, we're going to run out of time. So, yeah, you're exactly right, mate. When, when, he, when Luke is rolled out the ball, what are you doing, man? You know, get the ball down the pitch. Who yeah. fits? You know, like proper English football fans, who fit down the pitch? So, you, but, yeah. you, were, you were listening to the fantastic um, commentary then, weren't you? Oh, absolutely. Dixon I was, to Smith. Yeah. yeah. I can still... It's like it was yesterday. Mate, it's mad in your head. It, it, no matter how many times you've seen it since, it's still like it happened. It just happened so just recently. Just happened, yeah. So... Dixon plays it up to Smith. Yeah. Sm- smudge up Smith with Thomas Charger through that... the midfield court. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, Smith's touch is incredible. At that point in the match, you know, oh, yeah. he, he was so calm when he smudged. Yeah. He never really panicked ever. No. He, he always looked like he just, he almost looked sometimes like he weren't trying because he was quite, effortless. he was so it relaxed. Was effortless, he, yeah. Yeah, it was. A water ball. And we, we got that bit of luck. Oh my God. You know, you know, he jumped up. When he's, he got that ricochet, Thomas, yeah. when he tried to put it over his head. He got that ricochet. And then when he was going through, you're thinking, eat it, eat it. You know, go did to it, eat it. Just put your foot through it. it, you know? did it Andrew, did it slow down for you? You know, as he's yeah, burst he through, was, oh. did it go in slow? Because it went in slow motion for me. Well, it's the same as Lukic. It's the same as Lukic. He's thinking, just hurry up, you know, get up. Get up. And when he was running down with the ball... He was another one. It was all. He was like horizontal as a player, wasn't he? Like that, his own time, Michael Thomas, mate. Honestly, he was so chilled. But when he was going through, you're thinking, "It's it. Fuck, just hit the ball." <laughs> because <laughs> you no, know, forget he'd, he'd miss. He'd miss one not long before, hadn't yeah. he? You know, like ten minutes before the end or whatever. And he's and when he, oh God, he's so calm. And when that ball went in, because I was always, I was like crouching at that point. I wasn't sitting down. My ass yeah. was off the sofa, you know, and you know, I was just like <laughs> half sitting, half standing sort of thing as he was going through and he got that ricochet. And then when the ball went in, it was like all the breath went out of my body. I just like screamed at the top of my voice and I, I kicked the side of the sofa as I went to run out the room. Yeah. So uh, I missed a lot of the, I saw him do his like fish out of water celebration. Yeah. And then I was out off. I went to run out the room to sort of try and shout to someone that would listen that we just won the league, and I, and I broke my I broke my toe on the sofa. Oh, I kicked the sofa. No, <laughs> oh. but I was like, oh, I was like, I, I didn't really care at that point because I was like running there, like hobbling and going, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I the broken toe. And I did, but it, it, it just I didn't care. I just went outside into the garden, and I went, we've done it! You know, like shouting because yeah. it was just. 
But I think her mum was walking, I don't know why she was outside, but I think she must have been walking the plants or something because she was like keen on her garden, her mum. And I was just, we done it. And she goes, oh, that's nice. And I could, you know, <laughs> and, and obviously it was the day before, uh, sorry, the day before, the, the, before uh, mobile phones really at that point yeah. as well. So I, I got onto the house phone and I rang my mate from a class who's a Liverpool fan. Yeah. Um, Matthew Riley, shout out to Matthew. I'll put you in touch with this this podcast as well, Matthew. And uh, I spoke to him on the old dial-up phone. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I just said, "We just giving him." I don't can't remember what I said to him. Giving him phone, plenty. But I was just, just giving him plenty down the phone, because <laughs> he was like ribbing me for weeks, obviously. But yeah, I mean, the whole thing about that season was that match being the last game of the season when it obviously shouldn't have been. It should have been quite a few weeks before. But because of the disaster at his Hillsborough, yeah, Hillsborough, yeah. Um, the way that worked out, it it was you couldn't have scripted it, could you? I mean, no. because it was after the FA Cup final and uh, the la- literally the last kick of the season. And so, when people say that the Aguero moment is the is the most exhilarating moment in football, just just do your history, do some work, homework, and actually realise what happened that season, and to beat Liverpool in the manner that we did at that point, was they were, they were destined to win because of Hillsborough and because of everything. Their patch. And, and it was on their patch as well. That's the they hadn't lost thing. at home for how long? They hadn't Donkey's lost at home years, for, I can't yeah. remember. Not, especially exactly. by two clear goals. Madness. It never happened. Absolutely. And we, and we changed our style of play, you know, going to the back three. Yeah. And when you hear the accounts afterwards uh, from all the players involved and everything, watching the 89 documentary... Yeah. They all thought it was. I mean, Merce. Merce thought it was madness, didn't he? You know yeah. <laughs> what? You know when he went in at half time and George Graham said it's all going to plan. He goes, it's all going, it's to, all going plan. to plan. We yeah, we've gone where we want him. He said apparently. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, what? What? What was it like inside the ground? Though it must have been oh, mental. God. It was honestly. I wish. It, I, uh, if Andrew, anything, it, I just. It was electric inside that ground, and you know it was. Uh, well, the, the players who weren't involved, we sat in with the Arsenal fans yeah, in that section. Yeah. And oh, with crazy. about, with about uh, obviously, we're 1-0 up at the time. You can imagine we're hugging each other and we're all over the place. And with about five minutes to go, we get led round to, by the dugouts. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, then Michael Thomas goes and scores, doesn't he? So we're all up. It's, we're all over there. I get nearly get lifted by the police. I'm trying to run on the pitch. <laughs> Honestly, I'd lost. I'd lost oh, no. it. You know, life. Nigel Winterburn just he just, just ran past Michael, didn't he? Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He lost it. You he didn't go mean? to Michael or nothing. He just ran to the fans, didn't yeah, he? In the he corner just lost and, it. Uh, he... You know, it's just an incredible, incredible uh, I mean, moment in 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 sport. It's a sporting uh, moment. It's it, not just a football moment. That is a sporting Mate, moment. I, I, I swear that that was... Because I know that David Dean was, you know, responsible in large for the creation of the Premier League. Yeah. And I think that that match was not only part, helped towards the Premier League becoming a thing because of the, the, the amount of people watched it live, you know, yeah. on, on, you know, it's on incredible. that Friday, yeah. And, and, and after all the trouble with the hooliganism for years gone by, Heysel disaster, you name it. It was football fans were the lowest of the low. We were scum, yeah. you know, everyone thought so. But that match, I think, was, uh, and then quickly followed by Italia 90, yeah. Gaza's Tears. Yeah. 
yeah. was the, the basis point. of which the modern way we watch football now is. That, that was the reason. Uh, that night, I think, I gen- genuinely think that David Dean, from that night onwards, realised what football could do to the, to the country as big, uh, for a television spectacle, if you know what I mean. Yeah. There's no drama like it. You can't create drama like it. Yeah. And, well, um, you can't recreate it, can you? You can't recreate no, it. No, no. It is just so spontaneous. And the fact that it was the top two teams, that's the other thing. Uh, just uh, like I said, the Hollywood script, if you just get thrown back in your face, if you rip something like that, let's say that it's too far-fetched. Yeah. You know, they, they would just say, don't be stupid. You know, that's, that's no one would believe that. It's not believable. So that is the it's probably the biggest moment in sport for me, full stop. Yeah. You know, there isn't anything bigger you know i think funnily enough the second the second probably the biggest thing maybe when um uh what's his name um this in the snooker you know steve davis versus uh, the, the upside down glasses what's his name dennis taylor when he won the dennis taylor yeah do you remember that world yeah, I remember final that, and it yeah. went to the last black pressure 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 it went, yeah it, it, it went to the last black 17 all and it went to the last black after being after he was eight nil down you know in the uh, in the final so, something like that, you can't script something like that either. But Anfield 89 for me is just unmatchable. I don't think anything like that will ever happen again. Very ever. true. Very true. Um, and and I've, I've been lucky enough to have Nigel Winterburn on my show previously. And, you know, his re- recap of it as well is just phenomenal. And the way <laughs> I don't think he's ever run so fast that, that he did, you know, when he went <laughs> after. <laughs> Michael Thomas scored, didn't yeah, he? He, he just legged it across the, did, yeah. across the goal mouth, you know. <laughs> With but, one mean, arm uh, in the air when he runs yeah. the right pass. No, that was God, really... Kev, I mean, everyone to a man that match. Kevin Richardson was just brilliant. Immense. He was another he was really underrated player, wasn't he? Immense. But he came in from uh, Everton. Everton, yeah. And, uh, I mean, to, to actually make that tackle from John Barnes, initially to actually create... It created that... Helped create that goal, you know, and... Um, after being down with cramp, I mean, the monumental. He's just fantastic. I don't know what's ever happened to Kevin Richardson. I've never see, seen him or heard of him for years. I'd, yeah, I'd love well, to he see left him, Arsenal, you know. went to Watford, didn't he? He went to Watford yes, after. Yeah. And, um, I'm, you not don't, sure, he, you know, he's I'm not sure. He's very reclusive but, nowadays. But do you know what? He was, a, he was a great, great, great addition to that squad. Because he was, he really he'd was. come from that great Everton side. Yeah, who, yeah. You know, he was a kind of utility man who used to fill in in that team, in an, him and Alan Harper, and he used to, they still used to win with him. So he brought that mentality, that toughness yeah. as well. Unsung he, hero. Yeah. Absolutely so. unsung hero. Very much so. To, to, yeah, a lot of, lot of players in the squad around that sort of time that you can say that about. And, um, and do you know what? Yeah. They might not be the, the fancy names, but they got the job done. That was the key. And yeah, you know, exactly. get, getting the well, job done. That is exactly the type of player we need to be bringing in now. I'm not now, going to change the subject right. completely, but we need the, the right type of personality in our, in our team. Not big names. We need that type of player who will give everything Hunger. to play for Arsenal. Who's hungry. Uh, absolutely, yeah. yeah All right then, uh, Andrew. This, this just dovetails nicely into my next question. What's your favourite memories of George Graham's Arsenal? Obviously, that's one. 89 is one. But you, you kind of um, mentioned 90, 90, 91 season. What about, yeah. the, um, what about the 
87 uh, trilogy against Spurs yeah. in the semi-final, and then obviously oh, beating Liverpool in the final. Crazy. Do you know? I mean, the biggest thing I I find is the change in mentality, which I can see signs of now under Mikel Arteta, and yeah. uh, that's why there's so many similarities between what's going on now and going what went on back then. You know, it's, it's quite uncanny, really. Um, everyone, when George Graham was appointed, if we'd have had Twitter then, I mean, my God, he would have been hounded out. Yeah. No one wanted him, you know, because yeah. he wasn't a big glamorous name. You know, everyone wanted Terry Venables, I seem to remember at that yeah. point. And I'm pretty sure he was spoken to about the, about the job. And when George Graham was appointed, it was almost like a, oh, you know, the type of thing. Not for me, though. And I was quite lucky in that respect because I'd, I'd had the Millwall connection. Yeah, experience, yeah. You'd know, you knew. You'd seen him work, kind yeah. of. Yeah. And I, I, what I've, I love more than anything is it, it just really epitomised the, the standards, the class of the club and the, the blazer. I just, you could just, he's such a handsome bloke, wasn't he? Yeah. And I was really proud of him as a manager because he looked so... Brilliant, you know, he looked like a proper a proper manager. He's always immaculate. He had the Arsenal crest on his blazer. He had the Arsenal tie on, and he enforced that amongst the the players as well. And you could see that when we walked into opposition grounds, and we all got off the coach, and they were blazer all wearing and smart blazer and flannels. Exactly. Yeah, blazer and flannels. It, uh, it looked like Class. we mean business. Class. Yeah, coming to do a job. And w- yeah. And when he went, when he set about changing the team. And I could see back then the difference in mentality of the players. You know, when he got... It wasn't a a, a popular decision again. You know, again, imagine on Twitter getting rid of people like Charlie Nicholas and, and, you know... Kenny Sansom and that... Viv Anderson. Mate, and Graham Ricks and brilliant players. Viv Anderson, another unsung hero. What a right-back he was. You know, incredible right-back. People hardly ever speak about him, but I loved Rib Anderson. And then um, Kenny Sansom, England's left-back. You know, it, it was just mad. And when he got rid of John Lukic after 89, what a decision that was. You know, strong-minded decision. I mean, everyone, bar none, said, why are we going after David Seaman? You know, yeah. John Lukic is, is a great goalkeeper. Yeah. And it, it was just all coming together piece by piece. It, it was just phenomenal. The way that he changed that side from the mid-80s to a title-winning club in 1989, 88-89, was, uh, was unbelievable. Yeah. Absolutely unbelievable. And he, he just his achievements have gone so underappreciated. And what I, what I, what I like is that this 89 documentary that came out recently... Uh, because of the anniversary and stuff. I think that now, finally, people have put to bed all the rubbish about him going to Tottenham and uh, and sullying his reputation, um, going to Leeds. And I, I think he's finally getting a bit more appreciation that he, f- he finally deserves he now. Deserves, because yeah. the mentality change in that team was um, unbelievable. And when we... When you go back to that period, Liverpool was so dominant, and all their players, all their players, buying up all household names across Europe. Yes. You know, they were like the Man City of the day. And when we, we were going up, we had our new team, and we had players like, you know, Martin Hayes and um, Perry Groves, uh, obviously, Roe Castle, Thomas Davis, 
none of them were household names at that yeah, point, really. True. No, I mean, obviously, 89 was. And a lot of fans were, like, quite jealous of saying, well, we've got, we, we had a team of unknowns, you know. And when I was writing, my, writing all the players' names and doing all my, my squad things on the back of my pencil case at school and stuff yeah. like that, you know, we didn't have those star names to write down. And some, yeah. in, some people felt like, you know... We were a second-rate team. You can't do anything. Yeah, you can't do. You can't exactly. achieve anything with with. And, and, and a lot of them were homegrown as well, Andrew, weren't they? That's that's what I loved. I absolutely loved it. Do you know what? In that period, one of my most proud moments of uh, my entire Arsenal supporting history was with England played a, a, a game, and I, I can't remember. I think it might have been Tunisia or something like that. And Brian Marwood made his one and only England appearance. And at that point, we'd had seven players on the pitch at, the, at some point during that, that match. I'm pretty sure that's right. And I was so proud that we had a whole, t- whole team of Arsenal players in the England, England side. And that yeah. said everything to me. I was, I was so, so proud. And um, I think Brian Marwood only came on for the last five or ten minutes. And I, think, I don't think he played again. But what, going back, another unsung hero. What a player he was. Brian yeah, Marwood. And, and the, you know, Brian, Brian Marwood. And Brian you know, Marwood. Andrew, he got injured, didn't he? He got injured in the, yeah. uh, that season. If he didn't get injured, I think we would have we'd have, we'd have won the league way before yeah. way before Anfield. Yes, I, th- I think so as well. It was yeah. a massive miss. He was what, a, he, he was the he balls was a brilliant, he crosses brilliant he put in. crosser of a ball. Brilliant. Oh, but, uh, he could pick anyone out on a sixpence, couldn't he? Um, yeah, he was even excellent. at even at pace, you know, yeah. whilst he was running at pace, but he um, he was a great player. But when I've lost my track now because I keep going off on tangents. But when um, Limpar came in, that was so exciting because he was like an exotic player back then. <laughs> there weren't that many foreigners in the pre- in the first division. No, that's there. right. That's and right. He he had. I mean, when I went to the, to Wembley and saw you score and saw him score his first goal, and then I saw David Seaman for the first time, and it was uh, it was something else. You know, he was such an exciting bursting onto the scene you know and some of the the goals he scored like chip goal against was it man, man united yeah. that goal he scored no, from no, distance Le- against liverpool um liverpool liverpool, liverpool sorry uh, of course it was yeah yeah what a goal that was you know the whole crowd erupted you know erupted, so yeah. we weren't used to that kind of um <laughs> that, you know that, foreign yeah dazzling skill were we but <laughs> very <laughs> but much so very it, much so that, to have him on one side and Rowcastle on the other side. And, uh, you know, I mean, what we couldn't do for like a Michael Thomas now bursting through the midfield with his runs. Very it, true. I don't think there's hardly anyone in the it's modern game. Art. That, it's that a dying art him. now. It's a dying art. A midfielder well, runs beyond and gets goals. Mate, honestly, he'd be worth a hundred million pounds because the timing of his runs from midfield were like second to none. Yeah. And I was, I was devastated when he, uh, when he left, but, I think that's something that he. I think he puts it down himself. The, the reason for leaving was that he, he was hardly touching the ball in the match because we were, we were the way that George Graham set the team up to be sort of quite a dynamic attacking um, counter attacking team down the wings and that he wasn't getting involved in the game so much. Well, um, I think I think that's that I, might be part I, of it, but I think the other part was the other part. Andrew was George Graham didn't want to. George Graham didn't want to pay anybody. He wanted. He no, paid him. He made sure no. he got looked after, but he didn't want to pay anybody. So <laughs> he, you know, it was 
I think it's right that he was only on about 250 quid a week when he scored that goal at Anfield, 89, or something like that. You know, so, listen, I, I don't know what he was on, but, but I know I mean, he was on. Madness. I, I, I know, George, George run a tight ship. And, you know, when you get success, you're supposed to get rewarded. And, you know, it was difficult. George was, George was a hard taskmaster, let's put it yeah, that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And listen, he got the results, but I'm sure if George would, could change something, he would he would have rewarded the boys a bit more because do you know yeah, what? There was yeah. a lot more to come from the boys, I reckon. But anyway, mm. listen. I think he, uh, to be fair, in the early days, he, that probably got in the success because he got the right type of person into the club. Hunger, because hunger. they 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 didn't come to Arsenal for the money, did they? They came to Arsenal to play for the badge. Yeah. And I think that really helped with the type of play that he brought in. Like, you know, you Steve Bold, Lee Dixon, Nigel Winburn and all that. But he brought yeah. Perry Groves from Colchester. Yeah. Uh, they they had the right type of hunger, like you said earlier. Yeah. And I don't think they weren't coming to Arsenal for the money, put it that way, like you just said. So Definitely. maybe that helped with the, the success and yeah. getting the right type of mentality player in. Well, that's got to happen again now. But, but, but you're right. When winning the league twice in three years, you you know you need to be rewarded, don't you? Yeah, Clearly, you need to be rewarded. So, uh, Andrew, what's your thoughts on the Arsene Wenger era? Because obviously, George Graham it changed. George left, mm. and we had a year of um, Bruce Rioch, and then this school teacher looking fella turns up. <laughs> what's your what's your thoughts on on this, the Arsene this, Wenger this, era? Because there's kind of oh. two parts to his era, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when he came in as well, I again, I, I could only imagine what the Twitter outburst would have been because no one had heard of him really, unless you've yeah. like um, some kind of foot, real football nerd, you yeah. know, properly studied the European game. You'd never have heard of him, and. Um, I suppose because of the way he looked at the time, you know, with, like you said, like a, a school teacher, a university lecturer. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And you're thinking, oh, you know, he's not a dynamic guy, is he? You know, you want someone that looks, you know, harping back to the George Graham. He, he looked so smart and, and you think, oh, God. You know, but then what's his football very... background? You challenge it. Exactly. You, you know, as he Coming played. From Japan. Yeah. Coming from Japan, you know. You... Oh, man. Honestly, I was really unsure. But boy, could I have been wrong. I mean, I couldn't be more wrong, you know. And he, he was quite lucky in the respect that he inherited that back four. But he definitely, and I can say this, definitely extended their careers probably by a good five years, yeah. I reckon. Uh, they wouldn't have played um, as, as, much, as long as they did without him. And it, it was just crazy. I mean, just to see... After a short period of time, Tony Adams coming out like like a Rio Ferdinand type of player, drew, bringing the ball out from the yeah. back. I think, what, what, Tony, what, what the fuck are you doing, man? What's going You're, on, like? What's but going honestly, on? you know, <laughs> honestly, uh, the foot, I never in a million years dreamed that I would see the type of football that was being played at Highbury, you know, under this new guy. You know, yeah. I was, you had to pinch yourself sometimes, and it was devastating, you know. And when we got in, I mean, at that point, obviously, we'd already had Bergkamp. And, I mean, that was probably... I, I still think, to this day, that he... apart Maybe maybe Ms. Ozil at the time, but I think he's the, the highest-profile statement signing we've ever had. You know, because it really made the whole of Europe sit up and take note that yeah. what a statement signing that was. Yeah. And, um, and the players that we've had since have gone on to be 
amazing world-class talents like you Patrick Vieira and Henri, but when we signed them, they weren't like that. That's right. You know, they got developed. So yeah. Bergkamp was, he was already that incredible player. But we suddenly, because we had Bergkamp, we were able to bring in players like Mark Overmars and that. And that, and that was a gamble because he, he'd been out for a long period of time with his uh, ACL, I believe, I think it yeah. was. I think he'd been out for a long time. And, and the, the medical care that you could have at the time isn't the same as it is now so it could have been his end, the end of his career so it's a bit of a gamble but I mean my god seeing Mark Overmars coming down the wing as well yeah how exciting it was and we could we could be defending a corner and then seven eight seconds later we could have scored a goal yeah, you know it, it, right. the, it was blister, it was blistering you know the speed, the speed everywhere yeah so as it progressed over the years um it I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing and the players that he brought in and again, unheard of players that, yeah. at the time. I mean, Nicholas Anelka. I Anelka, mean, at the end of the top, top youngster. Well, wow. he looked, I think oh, such a shame because his mentality let him down badly. I think, and he's, his stupid, um, advice he was getting from his brother. And again, this is only my opinion. I don't know anything of this to be fact. Well, you can only say your opinion. Badly Andrew. advised. Andrew, you can only badly say your advised. opinion. Yeah. You can only say yeah. your opinion. That's all. He he could have easily been the be- the highest goal. I think if he'd have stayed at Arsenal, he would easily have been of our highest goal scorer of all time. You know, he was untouchable. You know, his pace, the finishing ability. He was ice cold. Mm. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a, a young striker like him. You know, maybe the Brazilian Ronaldo, maybe. Yeah, R9. But apart yeah. from him, it, he was. Um, no team could handle him. Yeah. You know, it was just incredible. Working with Overmars on the on the left hand side, and it was just blistering to watch. So when I, as it progressed, the Wenger era, and we're sort of going into like the early two thousands, and I honestly think that it was the best time in fo- football for, for ages, in a, as a yeah. whole, uh, the Premier League, because yeah. of the rivalry that was really developing at that point getting bigger and bigger every year between Ferguson and Wenger. I don't yeah. think, again, that will that ever be repeated? Would it, would it ever be that exciting? We again? hope so. You know, we hope so. The, we hope so. The sledging and... Listen, we're trying, to, we're, trying to, we're trying to build something now, aren't we, with our Ted? We're, listen, we're going to cover this later, but yeah, I'd no. like to think the, the conundrum of Arteta could start getting up to the level where Pep is and Klopp is and Lampard mm. is going to be, you know, because Arteta and Lampard are trying to get up there, aren't they? So yeah. So how yeah. about a four-way? Let's have a four-way, you know, tear up. <laughs> Let's have a tear up, proper one. That, oh, that'd be amazing. But that, the, the, the different personalities of Ferguson and Wenger, that just made it, you know. Yeah. And Wenger's, Wenger had a really good dry sense of humour, I think. I think he was quite sort of, Sarcastic and he was smart with dry. Him, wasn't he? he was smart, very, with yeah, him. yeah, very, very dry. And Ferguson got rattled, and you know, his nose started <laughs> glowing and his veins were popping. And, and you know, uh, uh, I, it was just fantastic. And you get Pizzagate and all this sort of stuff. And it, the whole period was just phenomenal. Uh, and we felt like we were just a, it, it, the match was won in, in the the tunnel before we even set foot on the pitch, the players we had, you know, and you can imagine the opposition looking around and seeing Henri and Vieira and Gilberto and all of them, you know, uh, another, another thinking, un- unsung hero. 
another underrated oh. player, Gilberto. Edu, yeah. who's still at the, he's at the back at the club now. You know, we got rid of him so too, far too early, didn't we, yeah. Gilberto? He, uh, he still mean, had so much life left in him. Obviously, there's the Invincibles. Then there's, you know, getting through to the um, uh, Champions League final, which, yeah. you know, we, we really we should have won, but it never happened. <sighs> it's, and then mate. it's like that team started to get broken up because mm. then it kind of moved to the Emirates after that um, a few years. So, you know... And that was kind of the doubt. I know Arsene Wenger had a job to do, obviously, to try and keep Arsenal on an even keel. But it was never the same, was it, Andrew? No, we lost. A little bit of Arsenal was lost when we lived, when we moved out of the Highbury into the Emirates, I think. Yeah. Uh, I don't think... Oh, it's not the same. And it never has been. You know, we, need, we haven't created enough history at the Emirates yet. Yeah. Um, but for me, if I would... I won't go on to that yet. We'll come on to that a bit later, actually. But yeah, I, a little bit of a little bit of soul went out of the club when we left the left that beautiful stadium, Highbury, I think. And I just wish we could have stayed there. But um, I think the problem I'll have to we could go on forever about the Wenger era. Era, but I know we ain't got the time. But I'll move, I'll sort of go on towards the latter sort of stages then because there's so much I have to miss out. Yeah, I know yeah, we, the time. We, we, we'll have but to do we, another one. We'll have to do another one then, Andrew. Yeah, part two. <laughs> I, honestly, yeah, I could go on about it for ages and ages. I, I think there's so much to talk about, and I'm trying to curb myself back a bit. But Wenger's problem at the end, uh, he was too stubborn, um, and the problem I think he as well because he was so loyal. He gave his life to Arsenal. Let's face it, he gave his life to Arsenal. And I, I'm convinced that he shouldered so much of the, the flat that should have gone flat. away. Yeah, it shouldn't have been nothing to do with him. But he took it all on himself and took the blame. And I think slowly but surely, it, it literally wore him down and broke him. And I think towards the end, when he left, he should have left earlier. We all know that. Should have left but after he, the Chelsea he, FA Cup win, shouldn't he? Yeah, or, or potentially even earlier. Maybe. Potentially, I mean... We wouldn't have wanted to lose that match, would we? That was incredible, that, that final. Yeah. But maybe he should have left in 2014, even, after the, uh, the other one. But I think he just took on too much blame. He broke himself inside because it, he was convinced and he really wanted to turn this around. But uh, due to the constraints and the, the move to the Emirates... Um, he he was working with a hand tie behind his back a lot of the time. And I think the fact that he got us into the top four as often as he did with very, very substandard teams compared to what he had before, that is an achievement that is, should not be overlooked. I mean, we were in the running for the league maybe three or four times in the latter years, up until about maybe 10 matches to go. And then we, because of the weakness of the squad, we March. collapsed. Yeah, it was a March we had, time we, had we it, tended to yeah. fall away, didn't we? But it, it, it kept us up there right until the, you know, the latter stages of the league with a very poor side compared to what we should have had, unfortunately. Yeah, but Andrew, and, um, Andrew even having said that, you know the, the issues that Arsenal have never mm. got addressed. No, no, they didn't. He was stubborn. He was too stubborn. And he brought the wrong type of player in. He, he started, he, he started losing the plot. Unfortunately, I think he really did. And he started making some 
decisions that on, in hindsight, I'm sure he absolutely bitterly regrets. And the fact that we never offered contracts over a year to anyone over 30 massively hit us. Big like mistake. We yeah. spoke about earlier, Gilberto. Yeah. Um, we, he, he could have gone on for another two, three, four years easy. Yeah, you know, he, he wasn't. And there's a, there's a, there's a large number of pe- uh, players like that that we should have kept on. Um, well, Andrew, look. Let's so, not yeah, talk- it clouded his judgment. Uh, Andrew, if we know it clouded his judgment, but I'm getting on to question eight now because I think this ties mm. in nicely with It does, it with does. It. If I mention the name Ivan Gazidis, what comes into your mind? Well, what, I'll tell you what comes into my mouth, a little bit of sick, you know, that, that, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> I think uh, I, I could only say, and again, you know, I don't, I'm, this is only my own opinion. He it was a complete and utter failure at, at his job, and he was a liar. And he ruined Arsene Wenger, I think. I, I think he, was, a lot of the stuff that he did ruined Arsene Wenger, and I think, it ended up getting rid of Arsene Wenger. It broke him. And he's the one that got in Emery. He's the one that gave Ozil this contract just before he left. <laughs> what a great parting gift that was, wasn't it? And along with Emery, you know. Uh, he shoulders a lot of the blame for an awful lot. Uh, he wasn't to blame for uh, the Emirates, obviously, because he didn't come in until after we'd moved in. But <sighs> I don't know where to start, really, but... I think that the, the constraints and the, the mistakes that, and the decisions he was making, Arsene Wenger protected him for some reason. I think he, he did. And yeah. it, like I said, it ended up breaking him piece by piece. And you could see Wenger was a pale shadow of his former self. Yeah, towards he wasn't the, end. the same, was he? He wasn't the same fella. No, he's, he's starting to look like his old self again now after he's been out of the game for a, for a couple of years. He's, he's, he's just... He's managed to get himself back a little bit, but you can see at the end he was—he's a bag of bones on the bench. You know, he looked like he's so gaunt and he looked ill. And I was so glad for him when he eventually did move on to get rid of all this hate. I mean, it, I just felt so sorry for the guy. It, I could totally understand all the Wenger out brigade for years going on and on and on. And but I really felt sorry for Arsene Wenger, and even though that I wanted him to go far earlier than he did. It was only for, it was only because of his own sake I wanted him to go, for his own health and his own well-being. You know, I hated seeing all this vilification and the horrible chants and, that were going against him from our own fans. And I thought it was unfair. And I don't think that a lot of the fans were looking at the bigger picture and seeing what was actually happening behind the scenes. They, all they were looking at was what was going on the pitch and they just put all the blame on him and Wenger shouldered it all. And it, it just destroyed him, unfortunately. And I put a lot of the blame down to Ivan Gazidis. And look what's happened at AC Milan now. The guy is, is useless. And I, I just don't understand. I surely he will never work in the sport again after this uh, AC Milan stint that he's got now. Yeah, well, surely they can see him for what he is. But, yeah, I, I, I've got a lot of dislike for the guy. Well, he, fact, he, came out with metrics. he came out with the metric shout, didn't he? At one stage, yeah. it was we're going to be competing at the top table. Uh, then he came Munich. out with, then yeah. he came out with, no, we're working on a metric system. Um, so you know, it's just lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. You know, didn't mm. have the best interests of the football club at heart. No, as far as, he, he as I'm less about Arsenal. No, no, yeah. no. But but Arsenal you know has got a book coming out, hasn't he? Oh, 
Yeah, I can't wait. Do, I, you, I mean, reckon, much... do you reckon he might? Do you know what? I, I'd love to. I'd love to. I'd love to think he would. But he's such a gentleman, isn't he? And he loves the club. Will he want to drag the club? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just hope he goes after him. You know, if he goes after him, great. But I, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, but Andrew, I don't... I don't, I, I don't look, I, I still think Arsene Wenger will be a gentleman. But it's, it's, it's not as if to say, he, will he go after him? My question to you, Andrew, is Arsene Wenger could just explain what happened. What happened? Mm, do you understand what I, I mean? He doesn't so. need to dig him out. He just needs to explain. I couldn't do this because the restriction from Ivan Gazidis and, and the board was this. Yeah, so at least I really you know. So. I really, really hope so. And, uh, and uh, Nicholas Benton's got a book coming out at the same time, just by the way. That'd be interesting well, as well. Well, that would, because he'll, uh, he, he'll, he'll, he'll fire <laughs> he the shots. He won't hold back on anything. Exactly, yeah. He'll fire the but, shots. Um, I just, I'm so, so hopeful that, that Arsene Wenger does tell us everything. But my heart tells me that he won't. But I just hope so. I really hope he does. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, it'll be so interesting. I can't wait for it. So, Andrew, okay. Let's kind of bring it to modern right now. What do you think Mikel Arteta needs to do at the Arsenal right now? He needs to, more than anything, build a team of tough, mentally strong players, some leaders that have also got that technical ability to play the style of play that he wants on the pitch. It's, that is so important to me. I did, a, I did a show on Wednesday where I gave a list of players, that alternative players, to the usual names that are going out on Twitter, like the Upper Meccano, Partey, Grealish. You know, I want all those three players. That's not get, but I've given a list of alternatives as yeah. well, from players from the, low, from the championship, which I stand by my... Because I, if you ever get a chance to listen to the show, what I explained was, because a lot of fans think that the championship is far too low a standard. Infer- they think it's to- inferior. Oh, mate. I, 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 I could not disagree more. I think the Premier League is a lot faster paced. But the championship is the hardest league in the world to get out of, and it builds character. Yes. And if you get players from that, that, that um, background, they haven't come through the A-grade academies that, and, and become really mollycoddled and think they've made it at 16. Yeah. They've got a good attitude. And a lot of the players have come up through the, the, the divisions. Look at Sheffield United now. Come, what they've achieved this year with a great coach, a great mentality, and the right attitude on the pitch. Because they are so grateful to be playing in a Premier League. They never thought they'd do it, and probably a lot of those players. Yeah. And no one had heard of them. And I think our situation now is, is so, so, so similar to when George Graham took over at Arsenal. It's unbelievable. Big time. You know, and we've got so many good players coming through the academy. And will they make it? Time will tell. But that, I really hope they get their chance. I've got a massive, massive feeling that Emil Smith-Rowe is going to be a player, real player. You know, and I, I want to see these players coming through. Um, but I also want the right type of player to be, to be brought into the team. And I want them to look outside the normal uh, channels. You know, the small outside fit. the, yeah, yeah. Outside yeah, the yeah. normal channels. Exactly, exactly. So uh, that's one thing uh, It's really important to me is to get the leaders on the pitch that can also play. Make the opposition scared of us again. 
you know, when they come, when they sort of come up in their coach, I think Alteta said this in maybe his first ever interview when he took the job. I want when the when the opposition come up and see the Emirates, I want them to be scared of playing Arsenal again. Yeah, and, and that's what I would love um, that sort of feeling as well. I think we all want that turn to turn the Emirates into a fortress. You know, that would be amazing. I want us to to be tough. But the other thing is, which is out of his hands, but he needs to be backed. It's going to be so difficult, but we've got a multi-billionaire owner. He has got to notice that if he doesn't back him, I can see that Arteta will just go. Because I, Somebody I don't will snap Pep's, him up. Somebody well, will snap him Man up. Man City will. I think Pep's cracking. I really do. All these, it's unlike him to actually start slating clubs like Arsenal. He slated Arsenal like... He's showing signs of cracking already. He's been there four years, and that's a I long time it. for him. I love it, Andrew. That's how it me used too, to be. But it, it worries <laughs> me, though, mate. To... It worries me because I think the I think the whole country is seeing what effect that that Arteta leaving City has had on them. Genuinely, yeah. And I think um, Pep has said Pep has asked the question uh, when they were coming up to play Arsenal uh, that uh, Arteta must have learned a lot from him. Well, Steve was there. And he turned the question around and said, maybe I learned a lot from him. That's right. That's right. I, I, I genuinely think Arteta is going to be a world-class manager. Genuinely do. I've got so much confidence in the guy. He's, he's far better than what people give him credit for now. And I think he's got a lot of credit now. And, I think he's better than the people think. And well, and, uh, Andrew, let's have it right. He's working with other, other people's players. Mate, look at the players we had in December. The same squad. We were heading towards the bottom three. Right. And I'll tell you now, this is, this, this is my biggest thing about Arteta, right? I, I think people go on about the formations on the pitch, how you overcome the opposition, and, the, the, you know, shall we play a three, three, four, three, whatever, all these different types of connotations. That's the easy part for Arteta. That's a piece of piss for him. Have you heard of the, the writer, Michael Cox, the journalist, Michael Cox, who yeah, does, you know, all yeah. the, he would be the best manager in the world if that's what the game, if, if that's what it was all about, the, yeah. the, the type of tactics. Yeah. What's the, the, what separates a good tactician from a great coach is to be able to turn the mentality of a player around the way that Arteta has in the last, well, he's only had, well, let's face it, with a three-month gap, he's only had about four months, really, as, right. as a coach on the pitch. That's right. That's right. So he came, he came into a team that was plummeting towards the bottom three, and a lot of the players were already out of the club. Let's yes. face it. Yes. Xhaka had, had one foot on the plane to for Berlin. Mustafi was the most vilified player in, in the world, you know, the way that he was playing and defending. Yep. You know, David Luiz was the same. And the whole team had no confidence and was shot to pieces. And the, the, what separates a good coach from a great coach is the ability to turn losers into winners. And in such a short space of time, although we've had a few setbacks along the way, which is we're, bound which, to happen which, with the players we've got. Which we're going to do as well. Which we're exactly. going to have, yeah. You've got to expect. And <laughs> the analysis after every defeat is always the same and it bores me to tears. Our players aren't good enough. We haven't got, we haven't got enough creativity in the midfield. Our defence is poor. We can't defend set pieces. We know that, you know, but <laughs> we know that already. Just stop saying it after every defeat. It's going to happen until we change our players. But the turnaround in the mentality, and which is why I absolutely loved the win against Liverpool. Yes. We were battered for nine, 89% of the game, you know, but we won. 
And we haven't seen that since the George Graham days, that type true. of back to the wall, grit, grit, determination, strong mentality. We ain't going to be beaten today type of attitude coming from a goal down against the, the team that's blown everyone away this year. And that win says something to me more than anything. Yes, it wasn't a great sort of performance on the eye, but the mentality that that showed shows me how good a coach Arteta is. Yes. And it was almost, it, it was the same against Man City, City as well. City. And it, he broke, he broke Pep that day, honestly, because he schooled him on the pitch. You know, he set traps around that pitch and he, they fell into them left, right and centre. And Pep didn't have an answer either towards the end. Yeah. He didn't have an answer. It didn't, they didn't hurt us in the slightest. And even Liverpool battered us the whole match, but they didn't have great many opportunities, many opportunities in that, opportunities, that yeah. game. And that's, that's the key, isn't it? That is the key, you know, so, to, to everything. So, listen, I, I agree why. with you. I, I agree. I think, I think Mikel Arteta needs to be backed. I think he's, he's, he's done a... The first thing he had to do is change the mentality. I think he's starting to do that now. We're mm. in a final in a season of upheaval and uh, we've had three managers in one season, which is so not Arsenal. So no. fingers no, crossed no, we could get, get, get that across the line. But Andrew, yeah, we're at the definitely. last question here, mate. And yeah, it's flown so. by. It's it flown has. by, right? It really has, yeah. So my last question to you is this, Andrew. If you could change three things at the Arsenal to improve the club, that's football side or whatever mm. whatever you could change what three things would you change all right the first one i'm going to say i'm going to be sure absolutely sure is really controversial to a lot of people but i should imagine most the first thing that on most of these people you speak to's list is get rid get new owners right i'm not 100% sure we need new owners Right, I think the biggest thing that they're guilty of is neglect and not giving enough accountability to the people they've put in place. Now, I hope that they're making steps to do that with the with this new appointment of Tim Lewis, who's an Arsenal fan, who's that big, um, you know, onto the board, yeah. uh, non-executive director. I think that he's going to hopefully have his ear to the ground and hold people accountable for the decisions they're making. So I'm not sure that, that I, I'm, I would say instead of getting new owners, I would really want the changes I've made, get them to take more interest into the club on a daily basis and invest more when needed, which is clearly now. Yes. Now they've, they've, they've done something that shocked us all by paying off our debt, transferring it to themselves, which is a lot better than people think. Yeah, it's people much better than people stuck. think. Mate, people have, have, have knocked it as if it's nothing. That's a big thing for them to do, you know. Yeah. And we ain't going to have to... We're going to have a two, at least a two-year payment holiday, so I hear, which is a big difference, and we haven't got to hold all that money in account anymore. So that's a good start. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm actually quite confident that they are going to put some money into at least buy one player, and the rest we can generate from sales. Yeah. But I think that if they can start doing that more, then I, don't think, I think we've got a lot to be... <laughs> We, we could have had far worse owners, put it that way. Look at Lee, look at what's happened to Wigan. Look what's happened to Charlton Athletic. Great clubs, you know. Wigan won the FA Cup recently. Had a great owner. And look what's happened to them now. Yeah. There's, uh, look at Newcastle. Uh, we could have had a lot worse owners. My biggest wish is that they would take more interest and invest. My second thing 
was I would replace Raoul and Binai immediately, and I would frog march them out there without even being able to clear their desks. <laughs> I would send it on to them, yeah. and I would replace them with people that know football and have got going to have the club at heart. You know, good examples. There's a guy called Ian Congerton at Leicester who is in charge of their recruitment. What a guy! What recruitment they do? Look at the players they've brought in and taken a gamble on. James Madison, for example, from Norwich is, is a great example I spoke about on Wednesday when they got him from the championship. And so many of our fans are snobbish about bringing players in from the championship. They need Premier League experience. No, they don't. No, they, don't. they need to have a great technical ability and the right attitude and mentality. That's what's important. And look, look how much money he's worth now. Before, before the pandemic, he was being spoken about as an 80 to 90 million pound signing for Man United. I don't know what it would be now, maybe 50. But that is the sort of recruitment you need. You know, and there's, there's so many examples of great signings that, that, that uh, Leicester have made. And they took, I mean, look at the sale that they did to Man United, selling that big slab head to Man United for 85 million. I mean, look at him now. He looks like he's Bambi on ice, you know, when he's defending. So, and they, they squeezed 85 million out of him. So we need someone like, like, like that guy in place. Or Stuart Webber from Norwich, who's um, obviously they've had a bad season. But the way that the club is, is, is run, it's, it's fantastic. I ain't going to go into it. I could spend another few minutes talking about that. But the, the business model they've got there is incredible. And they've got some players that they will make a lot of money on mm. this year in, in, their, in their fullbacks. Their ben Godfrey as well. And, and you know, there's, the list goes on. Todd Cantwell. Someone like Stuart Webber or, or him would be fantastic. Or, and also bring in some ex-players to, to work you know, into the club. I cannot understand for the life of me why Dennis Bergkamp ain't there. He's sitting on his ass doing nothing and he's openly said he'd, he'd love to come over. Well, everybody, can't, everybody like in. can't come in. So, no, but Santi Dennis Cazorla, Bergkamp, they, they want Santi Cazorla. Who would you have? Santi Cazorla, Dennis Bergkamp. Who do you have? Well, I would have Dennis Bergkamp in a, in a more sort of... Um, sort of not a director of football type role, but it's similar. Um, I would have Santi Cazorla on the coaching staff, yeah. 100%, without question. But I just, I would just, especially Dennis Bergkamp, I don't believe, I don't understand that. I mean, even like to replace Raul, Mark Overmars is doing an incredible job at, at Ajax. You know, he, what about someone like him who actually genuinely cares about what type of, I mean, the, the players that they've got at, at Ajax and they work with, it's the type of players we need. You know, he would have uh, a lot of... You still have some, I know he wasn't with Arsenal for too long, but he would still have an affection for the club. And he would do a better job than Raul. I, I, Raul is the one thing that I want rid of more than anything. He's just annoyed. He looks like Dan, Danny DeVito in peng, as a penguin, and he just like, he's making all the wrong decisions for himself, not the club. You know, I hate the guy. And I yeah. think he is the biggest problem that we have, we've got. Um, and the third thing I would change is ticket prices. Now more than ever, they should realise how important the fans are to the club. And we're taken for mugs. And that starts with people like Ivan Gazidis thinking, let's just ring every single fucking penny we can out of these mugs that come through our doors. Yeah. They don't treat us like fans. And now hopefully they'll realise what difference we are to the club. Yes. Because yeah, we ain't, I, we ain't I there. I agree with that. I agree with you there. I, I, I can't get to hardly any games this, uh, now because I've got my three boys and I'm pr- proud to punch with my three boys and they're all gooners and we live in the Midlands now we don't live in London anymore we live in uh, Leicestershire yeah. uh, whenever I go to a, a match it costs me nearly 400 quid for the day 
you know, well, and it's it's just so ridiculous. It's astronomical energy. money. Well, do you know what? I mean, even things like the membership, even they don't they don't do family memberships. Like uh, one you know, one parent who can have add some so many children to it. Yeah. You have to do it all individually, and it's all the same price. It's just, it's it's a joke. Why don't you just respect the fan, respect the, the you know, the people that want to bring the next generation of Arsenal fans with them to see the club. Yeah. You know, I, it's, how important is that to keep the kids interested in Arsenal at the moment? Because we haven't been winning anything. No. We're going to be losing a, ne- a whole generation of fans globally. So do something about that for fuck's to sake, keep, Arsenal. To keep, which, to, yeah, to, keep know, them in, to keep them interested, keep them in place, yeah. I, I, I'd love, love nothing more to be able to go to every home game and take my kids there, but I cannot afford it. I, I haven't got the money. So sort it out. You know, give us some kind of incentive to be able to get our kids in through the doors. So that's, one, that's the third the most important thing for me because it, it really affects me and I, I want to get down there more often. Well, uh, you know. Andrew, listen, on that note, I think that's the right way to finish this because I think that's a real admirable you want to go to more games. You want to bring your boys to more games. I'm sure there's other families out there who want to go, but simply priced out of it. So yeah, you know, I'd, lo- yeah, I'd love the, I'd love the club to be able to do something for the fan. But I listen, really hope so. Yeah, we're at the end, Andrew. I mean, listen, it was a pleasure, absolute pleasure talking to you. Listen yeah, to you your too. experiences, and uh, listen. Hopefully, I'll we be, can do part you know two. What? I've missed out so much stuff that I had in my head I wanted to talk to you about, like all my hybrid experiences and all yeah, that. That's why I, I just, say... I, I haven't even... That's why I, I say... My mouse ran away with me. <laughs> that's why I say hopefully we could do a part two because I know you've got plenty more. Definitely, I have. I have. You know, I'm going to kick myself when I get off this call now uh, because I've missed out so many things I wanted to talk about. But well, I really appreciate it. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I thank you very much for inviting me on. No, no problem, Andrew. And hopefully we could get to a part two pretty soon. Take good yeah. care, my man. <laughs> And you. Take care, Kevin. Bye-bye. All right, Treacle. People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back.